less than a week before President Trump leaves office, he has earned the distinction of being the only president who has been impeached twice. The FBI is warning police across the country about possible attacks on state capitals ahead of Inauguration Day. President-elect Biden is expected to unveil his stimulus plan today. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Thursday, January 14th, 2021. Well, as the baseball and life philosopher Yogi Berra said, it's like deja vu all over again. Why? Because it's January and we're preparing for an impeachment trial. (laughs) One day after the second impeachment of President Donald Trump and within days of Joe Biden's inauguration, things, yes, things are still weird. And speaking of weird, hello, Todd Ruger, senior writer at CQ Roll Call. Hi, Jason. How you doing? <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for talking about. Um, I mean, it, we're we're just running out of like words. I mean, unprecedented feels just sort of tame these days. Um, I I just um, yeah, we're we're there. And what I what I love about your story that uh, that you've been working on and and is uh, is on Roll Call now is. It just it asks a question that I don't know the answer to, and a lot of other people don't either. Which is, if the impeachment trial doesn't get started until after the inauguration, uh, which it doesn't sound like it will, because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says that's not going to happen, and he still controls the agenda, and Trump is not president when the impeachment trial gets underway, does the Chief Justice of the United States, in this case John Roberts? Does he have to preside? Because the Constitution says the Chief Justice will preside over an impeachment trial of the president, but Trump won't be the president anymore. So even on his way out, he's we've got this conundrum, this bizarre uh, situation where we don't know the answer. Uh, like let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about this. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's interesting you say that because I try one of my philosophies as a reporter is I try not to write a story if I don't have the answer. You know, I don't want to raise a question that I don't that I I'm not giving people the information to 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 that use in their life or to to move on. You know, they just say, "Oh, I I wonder too. I wonder too." But in this particular case, um, it it is uh, it is nobody really knows. Uh, there's there might be somebody that that knows the answer to this. It might be somewhere deep down in Mitch McConnell's head as he's you know preparing for what to do next or. Maybe in Chuck Schumer's head, as he decides, well, this is what I'm going to do. But there, there, you know, there are there are, as you said, always these this talk in the Trump era about unprecedented, and this is truly there has never been anything like this before. <laughs> this is one of them, and and the fun part about this is there will probably never be another one like this. So it's like unprecedented and unique, one of a kind, all, every single descriptor you can put on it, because of the timing of exactly how this is going to go down. Right. And it it occurs to me, I mean, like, we we haven't really had that many impeachment trials in history. We've only had three for presidents, uh, one of which was uh, less than a year ago. <laughs> um, <Right>. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, remember that? <laughs> I do, I remember. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and the, so, you know, we... We've only, it just hasn't happened that often. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton was the second one. And then you have to go back to the 19th century and the aftermath of the Civil War uh, with Andrew Johnson's impeachment trial. Um, so, again, we, we don't know what is, we, we've just never been in this kind of situation. Other officials have been impeached. 
and then left office, and then they proceeded, then the Senate proceeded with the trial anyway, so that they could bar these folks from office, uh, even though they were gone. So there, there is some precedent uh, that the uh, in that case, the Chief Justice, you know, does not preside, and even in when they're throwing out judges and so forth, it's usually just the presiding officer, uh, either the, the the Vice President of the United States or the Senate President pro tempore. So it's it's this. It's the situation where, um, you know, you talk to, like, some of the smartest people uh, on constitutional law, our, our friend Stephen Vladek uh, down at the University of Texas, who you must just have, like, there, uh, there must be, like, a bat phone from, like, the Todd phone on his desk. He must just know, like, <laughs> boop, boop. <laughs> like, well, a lot of it is, a lot of that, a lot of it is Twitter these days, you know, um, immediately after the, uh, the House impeaches Trump for the second time. That was just yesterday. <laughs> which was yesterday. Uh, a lot of people uh, in the legal world who are obsessed with the Supreme Court and stuff. They just start saying, "Oh, hey, you know, this, the Chief Justice is going to be back uh, uh, over uh, in the in the Congress because it's kind of fun. It's like he, you know, he was over there a year ago, and they brought up all these issues. Like, is he going to overrule this? Is he going to rule this way? And um, and then the Constitution states it. In I think it sounds like uh, maybe Johnny Cochran wrote this phrase, <laughs> when the president of the United States is tried, the chief justice shall preside. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you know, the, the chief justice is going to come back over. But then there's, there's, this is the, this is what's so weird about this entire situation is, is the timing of it. So the Senate is in pro forma session until Tuesday, January 19th. And that is the day that the Senate comes back and can do regular business again. So that's when they would first be able to receive officially the message from the House that they had impeached Donald Trump a second time. And so then typically, you know, nothing's typical, but, but theoretically, <laughs> the Senate sends an invitation that day to the Chief Justice. So it's January 19th. Donald Trump, Trump is president. The House gets the message to the Senate. The Senate sends the invitation to the, to the Chief Justice for the impeachment of the president. If the if it's a if it's the president, the chief shall preside. But then, under the Senate's impeachment rules, they have to have the House do some things like present some evidence or something like that. And so, Mitch McConnell has said that they couldn't start the trial until January twentieth in the afternoon, uh, which Donald Trump is no longer president at noon on January twentieth. So, if they started it after that, it would no no longer be. A trial of the president. So if it's if it's a past president, what happens? Who presides? And um, and so you go talk to you go talk to these people online, or you write them a message on Twitter, and they get back to you, and they're like, "Yeah, this is my best guess. This is what it seems like should happen." But nobody really knows the answer uh, <laughs> as to whether Roberts must do this, shall do this, or is not going to do it. Um, and so there's there's it's just an open question. Another open question, which um, I know that we're, we're we're trying to, we and everybody else is kind of trying to figure out what um, what the answer is, is that we do know that in order to remove uh, an, an official, not not just any anybody, but like an, an official from uh, because of an impeachment, whether it's a judge or a cabinet officer or the president, you need two thirds uh, of, of the Senate to agree. Um, which is a pretty high bar, and and one of the reasons that 
you know, we haven't had anybody removed uh, from, no, no presidents have been removed at least. And then there's this question of, well, you know, like, because he'll, he'll be gone at that point, the Democrats have said that they want to, they want to vote to forbid him from holding office. And then there's a the question of, well, is that a two-thirds vote or is that a simple majority vote? And even that, there isn't really a lot of clarity, right? Um, I, I haven't dug into that, but I do, I do think most people think there's a different standard in that it's only a majority of the Senate that would have to, um, to do that, because I think it's a different question than conviction and, and the way that the Constitution is written. It takes two thirds to, uh, impeach, uh, to impeach, so to remove, yeah, for, to remove. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, to remove. The Constitution is, is silent a lot about a lot of things, and we don't have any experience in this as a country. So we don't really know. Yeah. And, and I think that the, regardless, it seems that we are likely to get some sort of lawsuit that eventually will end up at the Supreme court. Because if the, if the president, uh, Donald Trump has proven anything, uh, in his career before he was president. And this one is that he, he loves courtrooms. He loves suing over things. He loves lawsuits. Uh, he, uh, and I would expect that no matter what, he'll probably sue over this. Now, whether he has standing or anything like that, uh, we'll see. But it, it's likely to end up in court, whatever happens, right? Uh, well, sure. It depends. It depends. Like, for instance, if he gets, uh, if they ban him from running from office again, or holding office again, and then he still wants to run for president, then he can try to file a lawsuit or something. Um, the Supreme Court has already sort of said uh, in this, in in impeachment areas and other areas that Congress gets to make their own rules. Um, you know, it's up to Congress to impeach and convict. And so they, you know, it's not up to us. So co- Congress can do what it wants. And I think there is sort of a, a lot of uh, conflation between criminal law and impeachment law. And, oh, you know, this isn't, you know, what, what Donald Trump said wasn't a crime and therefore you can't impeach him and, or, um, you know, you have to prove these elements, but really it's, it's a political question in the end. And, and the trial is a political question. It's a political trial. It's not um, something that the Supreme Court really wants to get involved in. And, you know, it's hard to imagine that the Supreme Court would second guess um, a vote of two thirds of the Senate if they do end up convicting him. Well, that's a, that's a thing. I, 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 again, I'm, I'm out of words on it. Um, I, I think I thought that, uh, I every time I think that it can't get any weirder, it gets weirder. Um, and I'm just glad that you're our senior weird correspondent at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if you see any weird things, anybody <laughs> send them my way. I'll no problem. I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually, uh, I'd, I'd be hesitant to actually put that out to the public because, you know, you never know what you're going to get. So. <laughs> That's true. Although, although here in Washington D.C., you tend to get a lot less weird emails than you do, like working at a daily newspaper uh, <laughs> covering the county courthouse. So, I've I've probably seen it before. Uh, send them my way. I'm I'm happy to check out tips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Todd. I really appreciate it. Sure. You know, there's another person in this whole presidential transition thing, and that's the president-elect Joe Biden. The president-elect uh, has released details of what he hopes will be a bipartisan COVID uh, relief package. And uh, Jennifer Shutt, our CQ roll call budget and appropriations staff writer extraordinaire, is going to uh, outline this for us. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so in the year, the new year that we're in, we are still talking about the pandemic um, and of course, pandemic relief. And so President-elect Joe Biden is asking Congress to spend another $1.9 trillion um, on a pretty broad set of proposals um, to address the healthcare crisis and provide some direct funding for individuals. Um, and then really try to get schools back to in-person learning, which is something I'm pretty sure parents throughout the country are very eager for. Yes, I, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the what enabled this also is that uh, once they found out that the that the Democrats would hold the majority with the, their wins in Georgia with John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock uh, gave them the majority there, they knew that they could... Uh, kind of put be slightly more in the driver's seat than they would have if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans had still controlled the agenda in the Senate. Uh, but this this gave them the cover. But this is a big package. I mean, they just passed a $900 billion uh, package, and now this is, you know, double, more than doubling that. What, uh, what are, you know, what, what created this, like, opportunity to go big, you think? I think some of the coronavirus numbers that we're seeing are really sort of bolstering Democrats' argument that, you know, the federal government does continue to need to spend in the trillions of dollars, not the billions of dollars um, on the total price tag for these packages. Uh, you know, I think everyone's been seeing, you know, sort of the comparisons to previous um, national tragedies, um, you know, on social media and things like that, because the coronavirus is killing more than 4,000 Americans a day. And it's really a staggering number of people that we're losing um, to this virus. And it does continue to have significant impacts on the healthcare sector as well, um, as well as, you know, the education sector, still a lot of kids working from home, um, you know, parents working from home, trying to balance school from home. And so I think this is Democrats' attempt to say, you know, we still have several months of this until widespread vaccine distribution um, is complete. And so, you know, businesses uh, and people need more help and they need it now. And we're looking also at new leadership in the the two committees, uh, the the appropriations committees in the in the Senate and House. We're talking new leaders there. Uh, obviously, Democrats are new to the majority uh, in um, in the Senate, but the, in the House they have a new uh, chairwoman, Rosa DeLauro. What's the what's the they're going to be driving a lot of these you know decisions and and getting these packages in shape? Uh, what, what's the relationship like with? With these, you know, these senior appropriators, uh, they, are they? Do they all get along? Are they going to be able to sort of negotiate in good faith with each other? Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure if you know, when negotiating any spending package, that appropriators are the issue. They are used to working with each other on the annual government funding bills in a pretty bipartisan manner, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think the big sort of indication that we're all waiting for right now is Senate Majority Leader, I guess, upcoming Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, and what he sort of signals to his caucus on whether or not they're going to back the entire package or whether or not they're going to sort of pick and choose which pieces of it they want to support and then see if they can bring um, Democrats down a little bit potentially in the top line spending level. One really important thing to note here is that President-elect Joe Biden 
included $350 billion in additional aid to state, local, and tribal governments to help them with vaccine distribution and to address revenue shortfalls that they've seen um, throughout the pandemic because people aren't you know, spending as much. And so local and state governments aren't bringing in as much as tax in taxes, uh, leading to some layoffs um, of you know, public servants at the local and state level. And so that is going to be a really big negotiating point because McConnell for months now has tied you know, letting his people go forward on additional state and local aid to providing liability protections for businesses, which is something Democrats uh, are very wary of because they don't want to, you know, hamstring the ability of workers to sue their employers if those employers aren't taking appropriate measures to make sure that their employees don't get the coronavirus. And one thing that we've seen all throughout, you know, this last, you know, 10 months with these uh, massive packages that they is that McConnell, you know, really just put the brakes on whatever he wanted. I mean, we didn't even get to see how many people Democrats could have been able to peel off necessarily uh, because McConnell just wouldn't bring things to the floor. <laughs> um, and now he... I mean, he still has the filibuster at his disposal. Obviously, um, one of the few things that is that the filibuster still applies to is is uh, legislation like this. But it's going to be interesting, I think, uh, to see how he deals with the stuff that that Chuck Schumer will put on the floor and sees and seeing if he can peel away some of the Republicans that they thought were more amenable to bigger packages. Yeah, so the Biden administration is really hoping that this first coronavirus relief package that they're putting out today and in the will be sort of shopping around the hill in the days ahead. They're really hoping that this can be bipartisan and that they can pass it through traditional legislative means. But of course, one of the really big areas that everyone is, you know, circulating instructions on right now throughout Washington DC is budget reconciliation. And so mm-hmm. if Democrats and the Biden administration do not get the type of bipartisan support they're looking for on this coronavirus relief package, that's absolutely an option for them. It would take a little bit longer. Um, exactly what they can do is going to be um, uh, determined by various parameters in the Senate under what's known as the Bird Rule. Um, but they can you know, advance legislation through budget reconciliation if they want. Um, but the tricky thing is going to be that in the Senate, you need all 50 Democrats to be on board with that. And that might be problematic um, with, you know, Democrats that are more moderate um, and might not be entirely comfortable with a $1.9 trillion package. Yeah, you got to keep uh, Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin uh, on the same page. Not uh, an in easy order task. To... <laughs> They're very different Democrats. Uh, well, Jen, thank you so much uh, for for covering this and walking us through it. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this package for a long time. Uh, yeah, I think we'll be here for a little while. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater as a Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening.